Well, I wonder how many of you have had the enjoyable experience of someone else telling you how you ought to do your job. Have you ever had that experience? Somebody that wasn't your boss or supervisor. It may have irritated you a bit, made you angry. You may have wondered what qualifications do you have to speak about what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. Well, one of the jobs that's most susceptible to that is, I think, one of the most difficult jobs there is, that of being a basketball referee. <laughs> in college, I had an opportunity to, to do that uh, in intramurals, to be a basketball referee, and I lasted about a week, a week and a half. You're being pulled in different directions. Everybody knows how to do your job, apparently, except you. You have to be decisive. You want to remain neutral. And yet there comes a certain point where you have to make judgments and you have to be firm about those judgments. You can't you can't be neutral about those sorts of things. You might think of the responsibility of an actual judge, how he remains impartial. And yet he, he has to come to a point where he makes a judgment about a particular situation. And in our text today, we have Pilate who acts as this sort of judge. Even throughout the rest of chapter 18 and into chapter 19, you see Pilate moving back and forth physically, going between the Jewish leaders and Jesus, going back and forth. He's being pulled in different directions, and yet he wants to remain neutral. He wants to, to play both sides if he can. He wants to make both sides happy somehow. He wants to hold on to his own decision-making, and yet he feels this pressure to judge in a certain way. And if we're, if we're introspective about this point, we would consider that we too, when we are faced with the person and work of Jesus, we, we are in a similar sort of dilemma. We're pulled between different forces, forces of the world, and the claims and truth that Jesus proclaims. You're in this battle daily. Perhaps you, in some ways you want to remain neutral if you can. We want to hold on to certain aspects of this world and things that make us happy, and yet at the same time we know that we cannot serve both God and the world. Well, notice in our text that Pilate is... One of the main characters, of course, you have the Jewish leaders, you have Jesus, but Pilate plays a pivotal role in these particular passages of, of Scripture as the judge going back and forth between these two parties. And that's how we'll lay out our, and walk through our text this morning. There are three scenes in this passage the first scene is verses 28 to 32, and there we see the prosecutors. Pilate goes to the Jewish leaders to hear their accusations against Jesus. Scene two is verses 33 through 38, where we see the defendant. Pilate questions Jesus, the one who is being charged with evil, and gives him an opportunity to explain himself. And then scene three are verses 39 through 40, which is Pilate making a judgment. So you have the prosecutors, the defendant, and then the judge, or the judgment. And we'll see that this carries on through chapter 19 
in some ways. But first notice in the scene one, the prosecutors. Verses 28 to 32. Pilate goes out and begins questioning the, the Jewish leaders. He, he asks them, what accusation do you bring against this man? Why have you brought him here? Why, why did you, have you had me arrest him? Notice their, uh, their indecision of wanting to do something themselves about this, about this situation. They want Pilate to be the one to uh, persecute Jesus, to imprison him, to try him. Notice a few things about these verses, this scene. Verse 28, these Jewish leaders didn't want to be defiled so that they could eat the Passover. The Passover was near, and if they were to enter onto the premises of this Gentile leader, then they would have been rendered ceremonially unclean. They were concerned particularly about the law. Notice throughout the book of John, this has been the case. And Jesus attacks them on it every chance he gets. He, he brings this up over and over again. They are concerned with law-keeping, no matter the cost. In verse 30, when they are asked about the accusations they bring about Jesus, they don't actually lay out any accusations. They do charge him with evil. Yes, he is evil, but it's an unspecified sort of evil. They don't have anything against him, really, that they can bring to Pilate. They merely say, we wouldn't have handed him over if he wasn't guilty of something. How logical is that? In verse 31, the Jewish leaders reveal what it is they're really after. They don't want a fair trial. They don't want to bring real accusations against Jesus. They're really after his death. They want to put him to death. You see that in verse 31 when Pilate says, Take him yourselves. Judge him by your own law. Well, that wouldn't work because we actually want him to die. And it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Notice again, their reference to the law. They're, they're concerned about what is lawful. They're concerned about what would defile them, how they could remain ceremonially unclean. And I want you to notice particularly about these prosecutors. They were worried about defilement and keeping the law, but they lawlessly seek to put Jesus to death while trying to avoid having anything to do with it themselves. Notice the deceptiveness of their self-righteous law-keeping. Notice their commitment to religious ceremony without the truth. Their, their falsehood is being put on full display in this passage. You might imagine an, an employer who faithfully attends church Sunday after Sunday, who serves as a deacon, who is, leads in, in public readings of Scripture, who preaches on occasion. And yet, when it comes to his business, he leads in a totally ungodly way, unjustly oppressing those who work for him. You might think of a man who does all of those things, and yet he goes to his neighborhood. And it, it's clear, all the rituals that he observes Sunday after Sunday are empty because the way he lives his life in other ways are completely opposite, hypocritical to what he professes that he believes. You might think about a man or a woman who does these things, and yet in the home, they act bitter and oppressive toward their spouses or their family. 
We should beware of this deceptiveness in our own lives. The deceptiveness, one, of law-keeping, self-righteous law-keeping, where we ignore parts of the law that we don't like or can't handle. Have you seen this in your own life? And we could come into danger here in terms of what we call the spiritual disciplines. Things that are good and important. Reading scripture regularly. Taking in Bible. Praying. Giving of our money. Attending church regularly. These are all spiritual disciplines which we should have. And yet if we begin taking pride in these things, if we begin looking to these things as that which will save us, keeping the law, being good as much as we can possibly be, then we will be deceived and we'll be lost. Each one of us is really good at seeing our own goodness and thinking we are good enough to present ourselves before God. Do you find that tendency in yourself? You can highlight all the good things you've done over this past week, and yet you can easily forget about all the things you've neglected or the ways that you have sinned by way of commission. We also ought to be careful and avoid what the Jewish leaders are doing here is concerning religious ceremony without sincerity, without the truth. Rituals in themselves are not bad things. And yet if we participate in them without sincerity, without truth, then we will be just like the Jewish leaders. They are the prosecutors, and yet they are shown to be without any truth, any righteousness. They are completely ungodly in all that they are doing even though they appear to be righteous. But notice what verse 32 says in this scene. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So it references back to verse 31 where the Jews say to Pilate, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So this signifies It points back to the words of Jesus in John chapter 12, verses 32 and 33. Flip back there in your Bibles. John chapter 12, 32 and 33. There it says, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Verse 33 is the clue that this is what it's referring to. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. He's speaking of being lifted up on a cross. So he would not be killed by the ordinary way Jewish leaders would kill a person convicted of a crime. Rather, he would be killed by the Roman authorities by being lifted up on a cross in a shameful and horrible death for sinners. Notice the contrast here between the self-righteous law-keeping of the Jewish leaders and Jesus being lifted up for sinners as he draws people to himself through his sacrificial death on the cross. Cursed is everyone who hangs from a tree, and Jesus became a curse for us, brothers and sisters, as he was lifted up on the cross. None of you have been able to, will ever be able to keep the law, but Jesus kept the law perfectly, and yet he was crucified as a criminal. 
Notice, though, that after this scene, Pilate comes back to Jesus. He's going back and forth. Pilate then entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and began questioning him. Notice the defendant in scene 2, verses 33 through 38. Pilate's question is, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? Now the mention of a king in this question implies that Pilate had certain things in mind. Particularly, is he a political threat to the Roman Empire? What is he doing? Who, what is he about? What is he claiming? Is he some sort of revolutionary trying to build his own kingdom? And you'll notice this theme of being a king throughout this narrative, through the beginning of chapter 19, all the way to chapter 19, verse 21. This is one of the big themes in the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus as the king of the Jews. Jesus asks him, are you saying this yourself or have you, has someone else been spoken, speaking to you about this? And Pilate evades Jesus' question. It's of no concern to him, verse 35. Note his assumption. He, he, he repeats the same things that the Jewish leaders repeat, repeated to him. He must have done something wrong. What have you done wrong? They wouldn't have just handed you over unless you had done something wrong. What have you done? Verse 36, Jesus ignores this question and goes back to his previous question about, are you the king of the Jews? Ever notice, notice he doesn't answer that question exactly. Pilate asks, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus responds, not about his kingship, but about his kingdom. Notice the main truth about what Jesus says about his kingdom. It is not of this world, nor is it from this world. It is an otherworldly kingdom. If you want to say I'm a king, just know that my kingdom is not of this world. We should understand that in this age, Christ's kingdom is not advanced by political might or by military conquest. All the things that push forward a kingdom in this world, Jesus' kingdom is totally different. He gives evidence of his king, kingdom being otherworldly by saying, if it were of this world, then my people would be fighting to keep me from being arrested. This wouldn't be taking place right now if my kingdom were of this world. It would be different. We would revolt. We would have a revolution. We should be careful when we think about Christ's kingdom being aligned with the kingdoms of this world are being propelled forward by things that our politicians or militaries or, or that of other nations do. We should be very careful about this, not only from this passage, but others throughout the scripture that teach us Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Jesus doesn't admit to being a king, nor does he deny it. He kind of avoids that question. But notice what he speaks of instead. Instead, he answers Pilate's question by speaking about his purpose. He was born and he came into the world to bear witness to the truth. This was Jesus' purpose, to come into the world. This is why he was born. We just celebrated Christmas, to bear witness to the truth. His words, his works, 
His very identity proclaimed the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one goes to the Father except through Jesus, who is the truth. Or we could look all the way back to John chapter 1, where it is said that Jesus, the Son, has explained God. He has borne witness about the truth of who God is. You want to know who God is? There it is, right in the person and work, words of Jesus Christ. He is the truth. And we could also remember John 1.17. For the law was given through Moses, particularly in this context of the Jews making much about the law. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In verse 37, Jesus' answer is an implicit challenge to Pilate to listen to his voice. It's almost as if the defendant becomes the questioner. The defendant becomes the judge. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. An implicit challenge to Pilate. Listen to my voice. You want to know who I am? Listen to my voice. Hear the truth of what I speak. And of course, this recalls in our minds as we've been reading through the book of John, John chapter 10, verses 10 and 27. My sheep hear my voice, and they will come to me. They follow me. Jesus, as the great shepherd, speaks, and his sheep follow him. It reminds us of Isaiah 23 and Ezekiel 34. Flip back in your Bible to Ezekiel 34, verses 23. All throughout chapter 34, but particularly verse 23 of chapter 34 says, And I will set up over them, his people, one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. We have these allusions back to the shepherd king who would gather his people from all the nations. Jesus is that shepherd king. He is the one who judges between the sheep and the goats. Jesus here is calling on Pilate and to all, the, all those who read this passage to listen to his voice. And those who listen to his voice prove to be those who are of the truth. This is a challenge to, to all who hear this, to all who read this. Pilate, however, avoids the challenge. He's evasive. He says, what is the truth? The Jewish leaders have rejected the voice of Jesus. They have proved that they are not of the truth. Rather, they are sons of the devil, as Jesus said previously. But Pilate also proves himself to be not of the truth. He says, what, of, what is the truth? When he should have asked himself, am I of the truth? Which is what you should be asking yourselves, brothers and sisters, friends. Am I of the truth? Do I listen to the voice of Jesus? You might imagine a mother at a crowded beach calling for her children. And they come because they are, they are of her. They hear her voice and they come running to her. When I'm at family gatherings, I'll, there are dozens of 
people. There are dozens of children running around. And so I'll shout upstairs, Up churches, it's time to go. And my kids hear my voice. They are of the up church clan. And so they come running, usually. <laughs> they hear my voice. They are of me, and so they, they come. And all those who are of the truth hear the voice of Jesus, and they come running. Is your life marked by listening to the voice of Jesus? Now we have to admit that first we listen to the voice of Jesus because he gave us ears to hear. Otherwise we would have never heard the voice of Jesus. We would have never heard him calling to us and saving us by his grace. All people by nature are spiritually deaf and blind. They cannot hear the voice of God unless he reaches in and changes their hearts. Unless he gives them ears to hear. So we have to first admit no one hears the voice of Jesus unless God sovereignly gives them ears to hear in his grace, in his mercy. And yet we also must understand that there is a real call for you to hear the voice of Jesus. And it requires effort on our part to continue hearing and listening to and following Jesus. So I think to, to listen to the voice of Jesus Includes that initial, initial following. It brings someone to a decision point. Yes, it takes the sovereign hand of God to change them. But they are brought to a point where they must come to a decision like Pilate was. Where they will choose to listen to the voice of Jesus or be evasive. The proper response to hearing the proclamation of Jesus and who he is, is repentance and faith. That's what Pilate should have done. He should have turned away from his own evasiveness he should have turned away from the jewish accusations he should have turned away from his own sin and understanding of truth and bowed his knee before the king of kings and worshiped him and that's what that's what you should do friends turn from your sins and cling in faith to christ and worship him delight in who he is listening to the voice of jesus also will include an ongoing following, brothers and sisters. Ongoing repentance and faith. Seeking to hear what he teaches us in his word and conforming our lives to his life. Conforming our lives to his teaching. Seeking to fear him and obey him for his glory. What does it mean to listen to the voice of Jesus? I'm not speaking of kind of an inward uh, voice which tells you which direction to go. I'm speaking more of the ordinary ways in which God speaks to his people through his word, through the preaching of his word, through the proclamation of his word, through the reading of his word. It's, it's not that God can't reveal himself in miraculous ways. It's that the usual way he reveals himself is in the word of God. He speaks to us in the Scriptures. So we must devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture and especially the preaching of the Word and the regular reading of the Word. We are not depending on those things to save us. Rather, we want to know Christ and we want to hear His voice. Is your, mark, is your life marked by listening to the voice of Jesus? Pilate has heard the accusations against Jesus 
And now he has heard some of Jesus' words about himself. And so in scene three, we see his judgment. Verses 39 and 40. Pilate's judgment of the matter, I find no guilt in him. Innocent. I can't find anything that he has done wrong, like these Jews, Jewish leaders are saying. So what would you expect then, hearing that Pilate found him not guilty? What does someone who is not guilty do? They go free. You're free to go. You are not guilty. You can walk off the premises. I'll provide you an escort to make sure you're safe. So what we read surprises us in verse 39. It's not what we would expect. If you're not guilty, you let him go free. But instead, he appeals to a custom that he will release one man for the Jewish leaders, the Jewish people at Passover. He's, we're not sure why he's taking this approach, but it appears like he's caving into the pressure. He's trying to remain neutral on this issue. He wants to appease the Jews on the one side, the Jewish leaders, and yet at the same time he finds Jesus not guilty. He's caught in the middle like a basketball referee. He's trying to remain neutral. And one commentator says this is the dominant theme of Pilate throughout the, the uh, book of John and, and these passages in particular. Matthew and Mark and Luke don't give the same information. They're focused on Jesus' trial among the Jewish leaders, and yet John puts all of his time and energy on Pilate and his interrogation of Jesus and the Jewish leaders. The dominant theme of Pilate is that he aims for neutrality, and yet he can never ultimately remain neutral. And that is the case when anyone is brought before Jesus and says, and, and is told, you have to decide, what are you going to do with Jesus? You, you cannot ultimately remain neutral about him. You must decide one way or the other, because either way, you will decide. Just like Pilate ends up deciding with the side of the world. At times, neutrality can be a good thing, but at other instances, instances of injustice or oppression, neutrality is siding with the oppressor. And here, to remain, try to remain neutral, with Jesus is to side with the sinful world. And this is why listening to the voice of Jesus is so difficult. You have competing voices. It's not just that you are hearing Jesus' voice calling you to himself. You are hearing all these competing voices telling you what you need, what would be good for you, what would be pleasurable for you. This is this is why a church is so helpful, brothers and sisters. We need one another to help us distinguish between these competing voices, these temptations, trials, and to hear the voice of Jesus that we might listen and obey. So Pilate appeals to this custom of releasing a prisoner to the Jews at Passover, and he offers, again, seemingly trying to remain neutral, to release Jesus, the king of the Jews. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? It sounds like he's still kind of jabbing at the Jewish leaders as well, though. He's not our king. And ultimately, the choice is not to re re release Jesus, but to release 
Barabbas. They cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. And John informs us, as an aside, now Barabbas was a robber, a bandit. We're not exactly sure in John what this term is referring to, but I think the main thing John wants to get across is he was guilty. Barabbas was guilty. He was a robber. He was a bandit. This contrast between Jesus and Barabbas. The guilty goes free. The innocent is imprisoned. Jesus is found with no guilt, but the other is released at Passover. And I think this this can serve as a picture of how we are pardoned. We are Barabbas. We are the the guilty one. We are the ones who have been confirmed day in and day out since the day of our birth to be guilty. Guilty as charged. By nature, I rebelled against my Creator. I rebelled against Christ as King over me. By nature, I refused to bow my knee before Him, and you did too. And yet, in this great exchange, we who are guilty can be set free because of the guiltless one who was offered up as a perfect lamb at Passover. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As John says in John chapter 1. Whereas we sing together in the song, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's pray together.